Welcome to Sad Styles Productions. Let me run you through our daily specials. On Tuesday, relive your childhood gaming memories on the Retrograde Podcast. On Thursday, the Jackass crew relives the pain and glory of the TV show Jackass. Also on Thursday, Mikey and Brian let you in on all the secrets of sports marketing on the sign-off, a framework podcast. On Fridays, losing money with Andrew Baskin helps satisfy your 20-minute sports gambling fix. Keep your hands inside the car at all times. Enjoy the ride. Get into it. Coming up... A Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. And I am joined in studio for, what, a third or fourth week in a row uh, by my favorite co-host, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. Uh, hopefully not just my favorite co-host, but the uh, the favorite co-host of the listeners as well. You're, you're kind of uh, turning heads. You're yeah. all the buzz in the industry now. Well, I, I think we need to do some special giveaways to, to make sure that they keep watching. It. That's fair. Hey, why not? Actually, speaking of, we're going to be doing uh, a little bit of a giveaway starting this week, something unique that we haven't really thought of before, but we've seen a lot of very nice and generous reviews come through the iTunes store and, and the platforms, uh, all of the platforms that do accept reviews. We get to see all of those in one place. Uh, a lot of you have said some very nice things uh, about the podcast, uh, about uh, my co-host as well, Brian Aaronworth. Uh, and what we want to do is start recognizing some of those. So we want to start at random selecting some of these reviews, reading them on air, and uh, uh, choosing one of them. We're going to send out a little prize as a, as a means of thank you uh, to the people who read the review. such a little prize. Maybe, maybe not a little prize. I mean, if you look at the giveaways that we've done in the past, we've done Sidney Crosby jerseys, we've done Mitch Marner jerseys, we've done uh, the likes. It's run the gamut. Right. We've got a lot of exclusive players. I'm not chintzy when it comes to that stuff. We want to build this podcast so that more and more people listen to it. Yes. We, we feel very strongly that it's a quality presence presentation a lot of informative uh, information informative information that you're going to get well on done. This. and a lot of uh, very well-spoken dialogue apparently yes, according yes. to that and you know what i'm really pleased with the percentage the high percentage of great reviews yeah yeah so yeah. um i don't think i've seen any real negative ones some suggestions but nothing yeah. really negative which is which is great now hey look at it. if you see something you don't like and write a negative review, but... Um, I don't know if I'd want to start uh, asking people to do that. No, maybe no, maybe no. send us an email and, and Be honest is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, but, uh, but better you... Ah, maybe don't be honest and just put a nice review. That always helps but, us as well. But the bottom line is uh, we we want to, you know, to thank the people for taking the time because, you know... You, you're listening to the podcast, you're driving in the car, you think you got to remember to go write a review. So so if you already have a review out there on one of the platforms, no need to worry. You're entered in that draw uh, for, for one of the giveaways. And if you haven't and you're interested in, you know, at random being sent, you know, signed pucks, signed photos, signed jerseys, whatever it is from some of the bigger names that we have, make sure to get out there, leave us a review uh, and, and just uh, show us some love. Hit us up on social media, give us some questions, tell us about some of your favorite collectibles that you have. Uh, we're going to amalgamate all those. And once every so often, and we're also going to focus on episodes that uh, kind of shine the spotlight on you as the collector. Uh, we had that Matt Allenberger episode who yep. runs the Sidney Crosby Collectors and Mario Lemieux Collectors uh, Clubs on, on Facebook, uh, groups on Facebook, and, and those went over very, very well. We had a lot of you send us uh, some of your uh, best memories from your times as a collector, uh, as well as some photos of the pieces or photos of you and some of your favorite players. Those are great. We thank you for submitting those, and we will be mentioning those on future episodes as well. Yeah, future shows. We want to start talking a little bit 
bit more about specific memorabilia, yours, ours, values, yeah, things like that. So, uh, and and upcoming one of the upcoming episodes, we just were in touch with Sean Chalk, who's one of the foremost ep- um, experts on Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, he has a great uh, Facebook page uh, where he has uh, thousands of of uh, followers that share their information about Wayne. Of course, we have a vested interest in, in the things that we've done with Wayne. We've talked about many times. So Absolutely. And uh, that kind of brings us into the topic of today's episode because uh, you mentioned that that we're going to start putting eventually more of a focus on the collector and, and the collector's memorabilia and sort of their best stories because there's a lot to pull out of that. But what we've been doing to this point has been more about talking about what makes this industry run as some of the people who are involved in running it. And Something that happened recently, which obviously didn't only affect us, but changed the way in which we have to market ourselves and run our company is uh, something that we've kind of actively avoided talking about because I don't think a lot of people tune into podcasts to um, remind themselves of all of the bad things that are going on in the world around us. So we we often try not to talk about uh, the big C, COVID. Right. You know, it's not something we always want to bring up. A lot of people want to listen to podcasts as a form of escapism. Uh, But this is an episode that we 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 thought we'd kind of be remiss if we didn't shine a light on exactly how much of an effect it had on our industry. And we know everyone out there, especially in, you know, manufacturing jobs, people used to go into an office and now work from home. It's it's changed the lives of of, of just about everyone on the planet. Uh, But why don't we open the doors a little bit and, and walk the listener through specifically what happened to the company, our initial thoughts, and how we've had to pivot as a result, uh, even up till today. I know I, I know, we like to say, you know, back when COVID hit and this and that, it's still clear we are in the middle of a pandemic in a lot of ways. Uh, and the industry continues to be affected by it economically, logistically, uh, and also in the way that people are, are collecting. So, so let's, let's start at the very beginning. Um, I, want, I want to ask you this. Because I, I have somewhat of a different perspective in terms of when I was first made aware of what was going on. Uh, and the, the whole episode isn't going to be about, you know, our thoughts on COVID. It is going to be about how it's affected the industry. But let's let's start by giving some context. When did you first start to become aware that this may be something that was going to not just affect you and potentially, you know, make you wash your hands more. But when did you start to get a sense that this was going to be something that was going to change potentially the way you ran your day-to-day business? Well, when uh, obviously, I think the first thing that hit me was when when the government said you got to shut down. So was that that was that was I the mean, first time it really it were you were you aware leading into it that something like this may happen or was that did, was it no kind of, I mean who would have anticipated what would happen uh, you know if you listen to well I won't even get into the politics <laughs> sure, but if sure. you listen to some of the politicians here and in the United States it's not a big deal it'll be over soon right or whatever. right so uh, we took it you know we we just kind of played along until we figured out until we were told what we had to do. And when the government said you got to shut down, yeah. um, we had to cut from 80 employees down to 15 yeah. who were running from home. If was, that, if and, that, yeah. you know, and yeah, no, it wasn't even that. I think it was closer to 11. Yeah. And, and I know that I came into the office as a, you know, because I'm by myself and I can come in and work from my desk, which I prefer to do than from home and all my notes and things are here. Uh, but that was a scary situation because, you know, we did have a big, big project that was in the midst of it, which allowed us to continue 
uh, with some of the manufacturers, and I knew that would keep us alive for a few months. Right, right. But, um, but what happens after that? I had no idea. So that that project is something that I want to talk about because that's what initially gave me some context into how big COVID potentially was. I knew, I think probably earlier than you, that it was going to have a major effect on our economy and on on uh, uh, our when business. Did you figure that out else. when you're in China. When I was in China, there's a tease <laughs> to when the story's going to uh, what we're going to get into with the story. But uh, I do remember, you know, you mentioned who knows how long it was going to last and this and that. When we had initially cut back from the 80 employees to uh, 11 or so, I don't know why I'm pulling that number, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was correct. When we did that, I remember talking to everyone. And mentioning, you know, we're hoping this is only going to be something that lasts a few weeks. We're going to play it week by week. <laughs> it's funny. It's legitimately made me chuckle there because it, it's it's funny to think that at one point we figured maybe two to four weeks and we can get back uh, started. But from that perspective, what did we dealt with? SARS was a pretty big deal, but it wasn't something that shut everything down for a year. Yeah. Uh, H1N1 was a pretty big deal, but I continued to go to university through H1N1. Yeah. That was that was an, an, almost an eerie feeling going into class. I was not afraid of it because I was, you know, in my early 20s and I thought nothing could hurt me. But you'd go into class and one day there would be 25 people. The next day there would be 22. Then there would be 18. And then all of a sudden I'm in a class with four other people. And you're like, what is going on? But even then it was like, ah, oh, this will blow over. It won't be anything. So it isn't unreasonable for a business or for people to have assumed that a two-week total shutdown could potentially have been enough to stop this. Well, you know what? Let me just cut in there because it just hit me uh, when I really first realized it was when I brought the whole staff together and I remember announcing to them that we were shutting down. I was literally choking up. I was in tears because I have always felt responsible for 80 people's livelihoods yeah, of course. and making sure that they they had jobs and, and you know benefits and whatever they we could offer them. Uh, and then to say, uh, you know, we're going from 80 to 11 yeah. in one shot. Yeah. And I remember going to my office and kicking over a chair. I was so frustrated. So that that hit hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so we we talked about that. Obviously, it it became apparent week by week that it was not going to be a two week thing. But you mentioned the big project that we had, where we had to right. we we knew we had to be. Uh, involved and actually in, in case you're listening and you're wondering how does a sports marketing company stay uh, uh, operational legally in the midst of a lockdown uh, we do have some operations that uh, classify us as supply chain uh, right. uh, for essential services so we were working within our, our means it, and, and reasonably it was not something we were doing under, even with under 11 people which would you know was questionable in terms of yeah sure yeah so so this project though that we knew we had to stay operational uh, operational for th- i mean it's an episode in and of itself the first time we did if you're familiar out there with tim hortons they did their uh, miniature sticks the superstar sticks it's right. been two years in a row now where uh, the first year we had guys like uh, McDavid, Crosby, Marner, Price. Uh, uh, the second year Matthews was there. We had Drysital, Bergeron, Hellebuck. Uh, if you if you haven't if you're in the states, you likely and you're a collector, you will have seen these, but they weren't available to you in the states. In Canada, they were a massive hit. And people in the States were actually reaching out to right. people in Canada to try to secure them one of each of them. Just little miniature sticks with uh, inside of a miniature locker with some graphics and everything. A, a massive project and one which started before anyone knew what 
COVID was, before it was even called the coronavirus. Right. So we were in the midst of all this and we knew that we had to stay operational because this was, this was, some of it was already on the water. Some of it was coming over. We had to, there was no stopping it. The train had already left the station. Or the boat had already left the dock. The boat had already left the dock. That's, that's better. Now, this is why I was a little bit more familiar with what was going on. And I'll get into a lot of detail with this if we ever end up doing an episode on it. And I think there's enough in there to do it. It was one of the most incredible experiences, uh, for better or worse, in my life. Most of the gray hairs I have on my head is a result of, of that. Now, I went to China December 18th, I believe, of 2019. For, and brought back for three days. It, who knows? Could have been me. Could have been me. But I remember being there. And as soon as I got back on the 21st or so, and you heard that right, 18th to the 21st, it was a whirlwind trip. Had to meet with the factories. As soon as I got back, I heard rumblings of this, this new virus. And people, if, if you remember, there's a show on Netflix called Explained. And one of the episodes of Explained is just 15-minute episodes that focus really in-depth on one thing, whether it's uh, uh, animal intelligence, relationships with, with uh, uh, dogs or something like that, or the sugar industry or the diamond, just something very specific. And one of the episodes was on pandemics and the inevitability of a pandemic coming. And I saw that episode, and it scared the shit out of me. So as soon as I heard about this new virus... I'm thinking two things. One, that episode is coming true. Two, what is going to happen with this job that we have with Tim Hortons? Is it going to is it going to come to fruition? So I was following it very closely. What a lot of people don't realize is at the time that this was sort of coming into being, when people had heard about it but weren't necessarily aware of it was when the Lunar New Year hit, right? right. Which is the largest migration of human beings in the entire world at any given time billions, literally billions of people moving from one place to another and then back again. And over this in time- In China. In China, in yeah. China. In the factories closed during this time. It's all, it's, it's a national holiday. And I remember when it came time to reopen, which we were banking on because we still had production to do on the Tim Hortons job, families weren't allowed back to their factories. They had to stay home. Which if you know anything about the economy in China and how much of it runs off of manufacturing and export- that's a, that's that's a big clue. And then once people were allowed to move again, the government had shut down power to some city blocks where there were manufacturing plants because they still didn't want people under the table going in and working. Right. And I'm paying attention to all this. Meanwhile, the news is saying like it's a big deal, it's a big deal, but locally in North America, to them it was still other. Yeah. It, this this it was, was somewhere not else. it was somewhere else. They we understood and we sympathized, but we could not imagine what was actually going on there. And I remember working with some of our clients who were, were, were engaged in us when we had product coming over and, and trying to explain to them, I know you've heard about this thing, but you don't realize how bad it actually is. We should talk about contingency right now. And the answer across the board with all of our customers was, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. It's not gonna be that big of a deal. And then it hit and it was an enormous deal. So this that was a long-winded way of, of providing some context and saying that this whole virus and its potential effect on our industry, I was worried about late December, whereas I think, like you said, most people started to really pay attention to it like March when, right. when it was, when it was right. finally practically affecting us. Um, now, what, what, so, so that's kind of the, the initial outset of, of what, it, what, it, what, what effect it had on our company immediately. But what was your thought? You know, we're coming in with 11 people. It's starting to dawn on you. 
that this is not going away anytime soon and you still have a company to run. We still have to pay rent. The government subsidies in that regard hadn't come through know, yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, we still had to pay the salaries of the 11 people. Were right. people, were, were, was anyone going to be interested in sports memorabilia at a time like this? What's going through your head once you start to realize that this is not going away? Well, the first thing was, I knew we had the Tim Hortons job and I had complete faith in you and you were trying not to worry me. But if I knew what you knew, I probably would have had a worse time of it. I just figured that Tim Horton's job would sustain us and pay some bills throughout throughout the worst case scenario. Presuming it went through properly, right. which was a big if. Which, but I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now uh, we had reassurances from Tim's that they're going to go ahead with the thing. We just have to get them the product. And, and I didn't know how tricky that might have been. Right. But moving forward, now I got to figure out what we're going to do. Like, how is this going to affect us? And I have to say that in our industry... Um, yeah, I hate to say it this way, but COVID almost was um, good for business as opposed to bad for business. In this sense? In, in, in a sense that it opened our eyes to our customer bases. Right. Everybody is working from home. Um, they're, the puzzle business, jigsaw puzzles went through the roof. Anything that you could do at home to keep your sanity right. was you know uh including what, decorating your home office which right a lot of people had and 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 likely never had to use until then so a lot of people started going online that weren't online before right including myself because i had the time now so i started exploring facebook groups and different things that were going on like matt ellenberger's group like sean chalk's group with gretzky um uh, a number of those things so now i start to realize that there's this whole massive opportunity online that we have an e-com team, et cetera, et cetera, but we weren't even touching the scratching the right. surface of that. Right. Okay. So now we start to think, well, how do we, how do we tap into that? And I'll be very honest back in the day um, when, when the internet started to kind of really gel 2015. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, we'd get called, like we have very big clients, yeah. Canadian Tire, Pro Hockey Life, right. all these companies that would be buying from us and telling us that we cannot compete online with them right? or undercut their prices or put a sale on stuff because it would it would hurt their business. right? And because they were such big clients, uh, we didn't want to, you know, offend them and we lose their business. We figured it was safer to stick with the companies we've worked with and not try to go out on our own and very conservative route we have x amount of business in these big clients and and uh we just didn't want to take the gamble that we would lose them right but the pro but but what happened with covid was we ended up they sh end up shutting their stores we had no choice we started selling direct to the end user online um building up our e-com platforms deal of the day special deals where we could sell at retail less a discount and still be way ahead of selling the stores. Um, so in effect, uh, we, when we sell the stores, we have to give them a fairly big discount so right. they can mark it up and sell it at our suggested retail. Sure. In this case, we have suggested retail. We can take a little discount. We're still doing better than selling the stores. But we would never take that gamble before. Um, now we had no alternative. We had to. We say, well, if you guys, you, you, you're not ordering from us. You know, even MLSE shut down, right? Which is, and they're a huge which client, is a huge of ours. client, right? Um, 
So what do we do? We got to sell the product directly. And they didn't argue with us. And that's when we realized just how big that marketplace could be and that it would fill any void that we had from selling those big stores. Now, I want to talk eventually about operationally what that does to a company. A company that's used to getting, say, 10 sales of a much higher amount, dollar amount and quantity amount, and changing that to 10 hundred, 1,000 sales of a lower value amount. A lot of people don't realize that the internal logistics of a company have to be situated to the types of orders, the volumes of orders, and, and, and the quantities that they get if, if the emphasis has to be put on fulfillment versus order entry, for example. That's, that's a big shift, and we had to accommodate that shift while understaffed and still confused as to what the future would be. Do we make a permanent change, or is this something that, right. that's going to be temporary? But before we get into what that entailed operationally, one thing that, that you, you didn't specifically mention uh, when, when it came time to shift to working with, say, the, the big box retailers of the world to finding more of the, the actual collectors and marketing to them was the specificity of the products which we could market was now quadrupled. It, it, an infinite amount more of products that we could, we could market because now we had people with specific needs. When you're dealing with one wholesaler, they have to basically go lowest common denominator. What is the item that we can pick that's going to sell to the most number of people? Right. And because of that, you know, we've talked in past episodes, we've had so many dealings with so many players specific to a, a, uh, a city or a, a demographic, you know, uh, that, that may not be quote unquote lowest common denominator, but you know, everyone likes this player. They are, they are the, the kind of like uh, dark horse of a different city, but like a national retailer. They transcend and yeah, is, local is, market. is not, is not going to sell their, their items. But we found once we started to be able to deal more and more with individual collectors, that all of those products that we'd collected over the years now had a home. Not, not even current items all the time. Sometimes it was like a Danny Breer Buffalo Sabres jersey or Danny Breer uh, uh, Philadelphia jersey or something like that. I mean, he's, he had moved to a few teams towards the end right. of his career and we were stuck because no retailer wanted to in sell in Toronto, Canada, wanted yeah. to sell a Danny Breer Buffalo Sabres jersey, but collectors still wanted that. Right. Either Briere fans or Sabres fans. And it turns out that niches in We the, found those markets. You found them. Because niches in the context of the entire internet are, are, are self-sustaining. Global. Global. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So th- that, was, uh, I, that was an amazing point. And those are the things that we found. But also we made it more competitive. We hit markets that we didn't, couldn't get to before. Um, don't forget the stores dictated to us what, what, we, what they wanted. And also, when you think of it in, in this context, Canadian Tire is a store that sells virtually everything. Right. Their little sports memorabilia section in the stores, albeit seem like a lot to us because they have hundreds of stores. So if each one of those stores takes a little bit of product, great, it adds up to a nice order. Yeah. But the problem is, is that they're not putting a Sidney Crosby frame jersey in their shop. So we weren't selling any of that product. And so um, it was very specific about what we could sell those stores. Now we're a little part of a, a, a big chain, so we're really not getting the representation out sure. there. Now we, we go direct to the public. 
which is all the people that go to Canadian tire right. stores and pro hockey life stores, but they're coming, but they're finding us and finding the product. When they go to a Canadian tire store, they go down the aisle, they're looking for that Danny Briere product. Right. Or, right. You know, maybe they, they grew up in the same hometown and they can't find any of it. So they do the, they do the search and there we are. And we can put those products on sale um, on our deal of the day. So we, we round it up and we'll get into that different ways that we uh, attracted attention. Right. And uh, so we made the, it's not to say we don't sell to those big chain stores anymore, but we're not letting them dictate our marketing strategy. I think that's, that's an important distinction because we still have great relationships corporately and, and as a wholesaler to the retailers, it, it doesn't mean that that's, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to walk into a pro hockey life and find Frameworth product. What it means is that is that now you have two options. One is to go into a pro hockey life and have a wide selection because a lot of people do prefer retail shopping. Uh, And the other is that if you do want to find something with more specificity, that's available as well. And I don't think our relationship with, with the individual collectors is going anywhere anytime soon. And I don't think our relationship with the retailers is going anywhere anytime soon. If anything, this has just proven how large the market of collectibles actually is and there's room for both well you know what there's an added benefit that is kind of a sideline thing but it's big keep in mind that we're not the only one that figured this out right pro hockey life canadian tire all these big chain stores have their own well they started realizing well we're closed so we got to go online too right so they started establishing bigger lines and of course there was no limit to what they could put online yes so they're they're instead of having a half an aisle in one of their stores of memorabilia they could put hundreds of items yeah. online so now we got a much better representation from those customers and that built the business as well and so a lot of it came down to they learned what we learned which is you got to go online you yeah. got to sell online and that's where you can find every just do a Google search. And, yeah. and if it's some obscure product that we have, all of a sudden we're getting a request for it. How did that happen? It, it's it been sitting in a drawer for years. Yeah. Right. Do you have, do you have any preference like you as an individual as to whether or not you would uh, rather shop in person or go online? Is that something that makes a difference to you? Do you still like going to the store and, and I do, at the shelves? you know what, when I get down a little bit or yeah. when I'm not, you know, I'm not in a very good mood. I, you know, and I don't feel like going home and turning the TV on or doing anything yep. else. I'll, I'll go into a shopping mall and I'll just shop for no yep. reason. And I usually come, if, usually it's a Bass Pro shop. Or, <laughs> I was going to say, you say shopping mall. I, so, I know what that means to well, you. Well, yeah. no, but I, it's the do, outside of I like mills. walking through a Home Depot. Yeah. I'm not needing anything. I'll go, <laughs> I'll go in there and I'll come out $500 worse for wear just because I see something. I say, oh, I, I got to have that. Yeah. But so I do like that experience. But one thing you know, I'm an older guy. So, you know, it's younger generation gets used to it. Shopping online was something I never did. And during this pandemic, even for fishing lures that I was looking for, I go to Bass Pro Shop, there's nothing on the shelf. Right. Like they can't get supply. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, it's spring's coming. I'm going to be up there fishing. I won't be able to get this, this and that. And then it, it starts to hit me. Well, check Amazon or check yeah, yeah, this yeah. company yeah. or check the manufacturer and bang. You know, so all of a sudden people are starting to realize, it, people my age right. are starting to realize. Out of necessity. It's a, it's a lot. I, I'm Now I'm buying everything online. Yeah. You know, like it, it's quick. It's there the next day, et cetera. Um, so we not only 
are doing that for our customers, but we're also ramping up and changing our packaging and making sure that it's ready on time and out the door quicker. Right. Uh, it allows us to do stuff like that, which gives our cu- customers better service. Every week we put a mystery box deal together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're in the hands of people within a week to 10 days of, of the orders coming in. And that's, hey, with Matt's group, it was Pittsburgh. So they, they would have been there within five days, five to 10 days. And they're, and then they, they show them online and look what, hey, yeah. they call it mail day. Mail day. Which is now a common expression. It's, hey, mail day. And they'll, you know, open the box and show yeah. what they've got online. And, Which is and, so interesting because it's, and that helps us. It, it, of course it does. I mean, it, it's word of mouth and it, and it's showing off the, the products that we're selling. But, you know, mail day is because they're ordering online and, and receiving the goods online. You right. know, it's, you, you can't have a mail day if you're walking into the store to get right. something, right? right? So that even that has been influenced by the fact that we've shifted to online. I find it interesting though, that I actually think if anything, I've, I've always shopped online. It's always been something that I've, that I've done. If I can't find something somewhere, I'll go online. If COVID has done one thing for my shopping habits, it's made me appreciate the idea of going to a shopping mall and just browsing, browsing, browsing. I can't wait to go back to a shopping mall and just browse to do what you do right, and walk into right. a Bass Pro Shop. Recently, I had something on, on Amazon that I wanted to order and I was like, you know what? It was a book. I'm like, I bet you that's at Indigo. There's an Indigo around the corner from me. And I purposely like dialed it back, dialed the technology back so I could walk into an Indigo and go pick it up because in you, person. There's lots of other interesting things to see. So you got both avenues now, but it works either way. And yeah. I'll tell you the other thing that we're doing, which you're heading up here is changing our whole system because we need to get better reach. Uh, we need to have better platforms to increase our service because business has gone um, significantly higher, um, even through COVID. And we want to be more efficient. We want to have better customer service, we better response times, better delivery service. So we're changing our whole platform, which should happen around January 1st, is what you told right. us at our meeting this morning. And those are things that are pretty uh, exciting for us and will make things better for the consumer as well. That's that's definitely the goal. I mean, I, I don't think Frameworth pre-COVID, I mean, we were getting better. We were absolutely getting better, but we were not known as the as the most effective customer-facing company in terms of the individual collectors. No, we weren't, we weren't um, geared for that. Right. As we just mentioned, we're more uh, sell to the retail store. We knew how to work all those EDI things. Yep. And, and so, uh, so let's, let's get into that then. Uh, I, I wanted to get into some of the, the deals and marketing ideas that you had as a result of recognizing the reach that we had on our website. We'll get to that after let's, let's start now by talking about operationally what it meant for a company who's used to dealing with those, lower volume of of higher value orders and shifting essentially overnight to a higher volume of lower value orders. What were some of the challenges you faced in that, apart from the fact that we only had 11 employees to do it? Well, it's not even apart from the fact we only had 11 employees. Yeah, Yeah. And now all of a sudden, I'm coming up with ideas like deal of the day, and we would put our products out there that we never had on for less than retail, or you couldn't find it less than retail, and people were eating them up. Right. And these collector groups, and and so I'm now I'm watching because there's only eleven now. The president of the company is looking at orders and names on the orders and people that are buying and and the uh, regularity that certain people would buy and start realizing, wow, this guy's a big customer. You know, we have people doing hundred thousand dollars online business out of their home, right? 
right? Um, you know, collectors that would redo things on eBay and all that. So if we gave them a little bit better deal, they would start buying more. Sure. So deal of the day and those type of things that that started to just blow up for us, uh, which meant that we had to, you know, we weren't geared for that. So all hands on deck, all the management people that were here, which the 11 people were largely, you know, VPs and whoever had an office separate far enough, you and, and Cheryl and Brian and, and the other uh, to management. Be, to be fair, uh, it wasn't, I was not, I was not working here. I was volunteering here. Yeah, yeah. I was. I like. It was. It was. It was dire. We didn't know how long it was going to last. Well, and a yeah, lot of people. Now you're a podcast guru, so you're on your own. <laughs> volunteer. Yeah. Um, you want to plug the retrograde right now? No, the retrograde podcast. <laughs> hey, if you like video games, search the retrograde podcast. Um, yeah, we we. When you say all hands on deck, what does that mean to that you? That means that I was in the I was in the inventory room. Uh, somebody else was in the shipping area. We we're just trying to get these orders. And so we go from, you know, one big monthly order for a big chain store, which go, all goes skids and out the same time to a hundred, 200 orders every couple of days. Right. And they all have to be individually packed and, and picked and pulled. So now we're kind of getting into an Amazon mode where we got to quickly and efficiently change the way we find things uh, package them, group them together. Never mind, never mind order entry and and writing up shipping labels. Even right, you know, we we didn't have these processes automated. Right. So if we got a hundred orders in a day, a hundred orders, that is someone's fo- someone who may be used to entering ten orders in a day. That was their job. Right. Now has to do a hundred. Not to mention they're probably not even here in the first so place. So what did that do for us? It you you ended up doing a lot of that and realizing some of the things that were slower or less efficient, and that changed everything. In addition, because sometimes the people in that job are just, hey, this is the way we've always done it. I guess we have to do it that way. But when a management uh, individual gets in there, like yourself, and say, why do we do it this way? Why can't we do it that way? And that'll save so much time. Isn't that what I, I think, you found? Uh, yeah, in a way, I think it was almost, it was less about, um, you know, for the first time, because I had done order entry before, you know, if someone's away and you have to do it, but the volumes were just, they were manageable. And the uh, and the fact that there were more employees to come back either from vacation or whatever meant I could fill in for a day and do it the way I was going to do. But this was out of sheer necessity. There were not enough hours in the day to collect the orders enter them, print them, fulfill them, then write up the shipping labels. We literally did not have the ability to do that. And and I know there's people out there probably thinking, well, then why wouldn't you just hire more people back? It's a simple answer. Couldn't. We couldn't. We were, we, we did not know whether it would be safe. Every time we considered bringing one person back, you know, this is still at the time when it's, when it's, it's very unclear what COVID even is. I think we, now we have a better understanding of how to protect ourselves from it. Um, but at the time, it was still very much a, 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 right. an unknown. So one more person in there was one more liability. We actually did have, at one point, someone test positive for COVID. Right. Towards kind of the early goings. Now, before there were mandates, before there were regulations, we had rules in place to prevent people from transmitting it in a, in a worst-case scenario where someone actually got it. And thankfully... It didn't pass to any of the other right. employees, which was could have shut us down. Could have absolutely shut us down. Supply chain thing, exactly. And uh, so it was very, very scary. But to your point, it w- there was out of necessity a need to 
to automate, to fix the the systems that we use to to cut corners, but find a way to make it so that corners those corners didn't need to exist. Right. Um, and as a result, you know, you mentioned COVID potentially being good for the collecting industry. In in some sense, it was good in terms of our efficiencies because we had no option right. but to find a way to get better at this stuff. Well, it opened the, our eyes to things that we had just taken for granted all, all through the years. Right. We've done it this way. That's the way we do it. Well, now, now we change. Now, you mentioned as well, you know, having the ability to think about things like the deals of the day and the mystery boxes and putting marketing ideas together because we had to... You know, this isn't this isn't fishing without bait. You know, you need to put the bait out there. You need something that's going to get people to react, to buy. Uh, and you took it upon yourself in, in a large, especially in the early goings, to to determine what those items were going to be. Every day we'd have different sales and things like that. And it allowed us to get into our inventory that we otherwise, as I mentioned earlier, didn't even realize we had. Didn't realize we had or just assumed would never sell. What did that this process do? for our overall inventory levels and consumption? Well, a couple of things. One, that forced me to understand the business that I had lost track of because once you hand over things, you know, it's that e-myth type of um, scenario if you've read the book, but uh, you, when you own your own company. Is that Dr. Zeus book? Yeah. Because if not, I haven't read it. No, it's actually quite informative. It's it, it's a, a book about how individual people or or owners start a business and then grow the business and never hand off the, the, the responsibilities they have because they don't think anybody else can do it as well. Right. And then eventually when you do, um, if you don't do it like a McDonald's franchise or Tim Hortons franchise where you, you have a, a, a job description for everybody and they know their job and they know how right. to do it, um, most entrepreneurial businesses don't do that right so when they start to hand it off it's not done properly or it just falls apart it forced me to get back in i never even knew how to get into our inventory system i, I said leave me alone you guys do that that's but, true and and but like the system on which our 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 company runs right the one that shows what's in stock what the prices are this and that you had never i drove everybody here crazy how many of that we have in stock do we have any of that in stock yeah They'd have to stop what they're doing, tell the president, everybody else they'd tell to go take a hike. <laughs> but me, they had to answer. So I would drive them crazy. So I started to, so I learned that system. Right. And it was fascinating. Wow, we got this. Oh my God, look at the price we bought it at. You know, we could sell it for that and we could move that. And so it gave me so many ideas. I had a lot of fun coming up with different marketing ideas because that's what I love to do. But in order to get the best ideas, you had to go back in and understand what we had. During that time period, in the first year, we had probably moved a million dollars worth of inventory that my staff told me we would never be able to sell. Right. And we, and we did well with it. And, the, and, our, and our customers did well with it. So we opened that door to do everything that we could for that. And, uh, and we moved. It was, it was so much fun. Yeah. I mean, because like, that, that is so important when it comes to working online. And as a collector, you'll know this. Things get stale fairly quickly. You know, you can't just continue to see the same products over and over again. And we were absolutely guilty of that back before we Well, when we it learned. slows down, the sales reps are going for the low-hanging fruit, right? right? right. So you have a, a, a good product in there and it slows down. And now, oh, you got a new one. Let's sell that one. And you forget the stuff that we found, gems, like John Bellavo stuff, yep. Gordy Howe stuff, like older players, newer players, 
stuff that we could have put together in packages, which we ended up doing. So it sat there for years on a shelf, so sometimes from our beginnings. Yeah, yeah. And then realized that, wow, we, we had things from the 2000 All-Star Game signed by the goalies. We did a special promotion. How do we remarket this stuff? Yeah. You, know, it, you know, it ended at the time because it was like overdone. And then we bring it back and it's like gold. Now it's vintage again. Yes. Yeah, as opposed to just being... It, it, Vintage can't be a year old. It's got to be like 10, 15, 20 years old. But that thing that maybe, oh, that was last year's thing. Like, I, I bet you there are things where, uh, or events, call it maybe the the a specific Heritage Classic or Stadium Series or this and that. When it happens, the month it's happening, it's enormous. Six months later, everyone forgets about it. Six years later, now all of a sudden it's cool again. It's vintage. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? And things, other things that we found, like signed numbers, from players back in the 90s that we can't get jerseys for anymore, but right. we had 20 extra numbers. Right. So he said, well, should we throw these out? Because, like, we have no jerseys to stitch them on. And then one of my uh, crack uh, marketing people decided to design a nice uh, photographic piece where we embed the number in that, and it became a big seller. Yeah, yeah. So all those things started to come out of the closet and the shelves and put on new fresh product that sold really well. Now we're getting a little bit, uh, a little bit short on time. So I want to kind of talk about what these experiences are doing to us moving forward or for us moving forward. You know, we're back to a much larger number of employees. Uh, essentially we've come back to fully operational the way that we, right. that we were before right. as, as I hope is the case with, with a lot of other companies out there. So we still have the same mentality. We have a lot more resources to implement. What have the major changes been week to week now versus pre-COVID? Well, so what's happened is during the year or more that we've been doing the, say, deal of the days and that. So they get a little bit stale because we keep going back to the well with, you know, products that we had and et cetera. Um, I gave our staff a mandate to create a whole new a product line that we can launch through there. So in the next two weeks, you're going to see probably the biggest launch of new products that we have out there. The other thing by exploring the customer bases like uh, the Facebook groups that we have talked about, um, we see what they value and what uh, items that they think are really unique. And so uh, we've now looked for different jerseys that haven't been out there before. We've got some really exciting new, fresh um, jersey products that are different than anything you've done. We've right. developed a milestone jersey. So we know we can move them. And it also helps us do more signings. Sure. For instance, yeah, we, we just signed Morazic as a, an exclusive uh, for our company, Leaf Goalie. Um, and, we may not have been able to guarantee what we used to guarantee, but we do uh, a leaf mystery box. Yes. And that moves a hundred in one day. Yep. hundred, a uh, hundred jerseys, a hundred photos and a hundred pucks in one day. Yep. They always sell out. Yep. And so we know that out of that, there might be 10 Morazic items, 15 Morazic items in that grouping, photos, pucks and jerseys as a total. So we know that there's a standard way of doing it because we have a history now of what's successful online. If we took on Morazic and then the stores decided not to buy them, yes, we'd be we, we'd handcuffed. be stuck with them. And so now we can control our own destiny, which is great. So 
with that in mind, it allows us to get more players on board, more variety and all that. Now, it's interesting. You 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 know, you know mentioned that the product line started to get a little bit stale as, as we kind of went through what we had in the past. And it's, it's funny because we kind of backed into having the variety that we had in order to reach these markets and continually update and, re- and refresh right. the product line. Now we've recognized that it's something we have to do on our own. We have to get relationships with more players. We have to design new and interesting items. We have to uh, uh, find new marketplaces. And, and with that, I was wondering, is there one word that you can summarize, that you could use to summarize your shift in mentality? One, one word that you kind of focus on to help understand what is needed to continue the business moving in the direction that it was. Because I have one. If, if you, Okay, go ahead. It would be variety. Yes. And variety, not just in the product selection, but in terms of the demographics, the marketplaces that we're selling to, in the overall price ranges of products, just having more things for more people and the relationship with the collector is what enables us to find homes for all of that variety. But without it, people stop looking. Yeah, you need to, I mean, you need the variety to hit all the markets. If I was to use another word, it would be uniqueness. Okay, yeah. So what gives us a competitive advantage? What's our our unfair advantage is what we used to call it, uh, which is Sidney Crosby, but... It's not just Sidney Crosby, it's Sidney Crosby. What can we, so instead of just saying, okay, we got Sidney Crosby, everybody has to come to us for Sidney Crosby. Right. Um, now there's secondary markets, so guys are reselling the jerseys, the pucks. Well, we don't sell pucks alone in that, but so what do we, but so we take that for granted because he sells his, on his own. But what if we made some really fresh new Sidney Crosby, right. which by the way, you're going to see some great yeah, new stuff I'm coming very out excited about that. Uh, in the next week or so. Um, what if we had something really unique? So instead of just sitting on the fact that he's the best hockey player in the world, um, people might argue with me, but that's my <laughs> belief. So instead of uh, instead of just relying on that fact and everybody has to come to us for the product, let's not just sit on that. Let's give them something really cool, yeah. really different and new. And that applies to all of our players because we've heard from our groups online. The stores aren't giving us that. Yes. Because if you go into a store and the clerk at the store gets asked about, hey, can you make this kind of product? We're not hearing that from no. that guy walking aisle nine. No, of course. You know? So, But we are hearing it from the collector. Why don't you do this? Or this would be a cool idea. So moving online, thanks, thanks to COVID, un- unfortunately, or fortunately for us, is giving us a lot better feedback and... Um, uh, initiative to to build and, and change the way we do it and pivot. I love it. I, I, I think that that's, uh, it's a great point and I think it does benefit the consumer as well. You know, we mentioned, it's a weird thing to say, fortunately for COVID. And obviously that comes with every caveat you right, can imagine. Right. But it, it did, if nothing else, establish that relationship between us and the collector. And I think that is beneficial both ways. Um, are there any issues that, COVID continue to bring up that maybe weren't there before, but are now here? Is there anything that, is there anything you worry about that, that is heretofore unforeseen? Well, one, protecting my staff and making sure that they stay safe so that we don't go backwards. Of course. Um, And, you know, we have some other issues that we have too, which is 
you know, things that we we purchase overseas that are now oh, yeah. a lot more expensive that are changing our price point. So those are things of concern. But for the most part, um, we're on a good path right now, and we've got a lot of exciting things coming, um, and we're able to do more signings and get fresher products. And with all our NHL licensing, we're getting very creative with some of the things we're doing. So I think we're we're in pretty good shape moving forward. It's, that's a good point. You mentioned that. You know, we've had some questions as to why prices have increased, for example, Um and I think a lot of people are quick to assume that it's because the cost of the autograph has gone up. But here's a peek behind the curtain that that you may not be aware of. It is that as material costs go up, you mentioned sourcing from overseas. COVID has done something to freight where a container that used to cost us X amount to bring over from, say, China for some materials that we have, whether it's some of the molding or plexiglass, things like that, the cost to ship it is literally five or six times as expensive as it was before. Right. Now, there's an element of that which benefits the local economy because you have to go local when when freight costs are that high. The other side of it, though, is that there's no way around it's it. The consumer's going to pay more. The, the consumer's going to pay more because we pay more. Now, we've done as much as we can to accommodate some of those costs uh, on our website. You know, for example, we do free shipping across the board. So we can't, we can't give away the farm, but if you notice the prices are going up, this is not just a framework issue. This is an industry issue. It's not always due to the players asking for more or the the an artificial inflation of the player's signature. There are so many factors at play that you may not you may not realize, but if you if you did peel back the layers a little bit, you'd see how much actually goes into that. And I mean that itself is is a fascinating enough topic of a of a podcast. But uh, anything else you want to say out there? Too? Yeah, I just want to give a few teasers. So um, now that I'm back from my summer sabbatical, um, I'm going to spend a lot more time kind of planning for this. So so far, um, upcoming guests. Okay. We've got uh, Sean Chalk, who, who runs that uh, Wayne Gretzky Collector yep. site, which is five, 6,000 members, which is amazing. Um, Glenn Gretzky, uh, Wayne's brother, and Lori Holomas. Yeah. I talked to Glenn yesterday, and they're going to come on uh, to talk about the new book that they've just, a children's book yeah. um, that they've just uh, done the second one of, and talk about Wayne Gretzky Winery, which is in um, the business behind that For sure. and how that works, and a little bit of you know, about Glenn's that's growing the, up. That's the kind of topic that fascinates me. The, the, the business of sports around sports, like right. a winery that runs off of someone's, uh, you would assume just someone's name, but the amount of work that goes into oh. maintaining it is outrageous. Well, you got to build the right, pro- make the right product and do all that stuff. So the business. Thankfully, is, testing that product is is a joy in yeah, and of we, itself. Yeah, we so like to go down to that winery. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a gr- If you haven't been to Wayne Gretzky Winery down in Niagara, it's, it's an oh, amazing yeah. place. And yeah. jam-packed all the time. They got a skating rink in the winter they got ponds they got it's great place to go um and wine tasting of course um i'm trying to get uh who else do we have i've got a oh jerry d uh, jerry d is a friend of mine you see him on family feud uh he was the sports reporter for mr d mr d how about and that? mr d show yeah. so hilarious guy really funny guy i've known him for many years from back when he was working at our golf shop and he's a great golfer as well um, so we've got those guys where we've got all sorts of different, I've had uh, talks with Craig Campbell over at the hockey hall of fame. He's willing to come on uh, and some player agents, Darren Ferris said he'd come on. Then we're also going to do a series on um, uh, 
parents of oh yeah of that's superstars as well so we've got commitments from troy and trina crosby to come and talk about what it was like to be a parent uh brian and andre taves um Paul and uh, Bonnie, we're still trying to convince Marner to come on, <laughs> and Vince, uh, Vince and Chris Duchesne, parents, all parents of of superstar kids that will talk about what it was like sleeping in cars, uh, uh, going on tournaments, uh, following their kids' career, absolutely waking up at five in the morning. That'll be a whole great series coming uh-huh. up. So we're yeah. really excited about where we're going, and stay tuned to some great promotions that we're going to have too. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember, get out there. Uh, uh, let your voice be heard on iTunes or any of the podcast platforms that allow for reviews. That's where we're going to be compiling all of them and choosing at random uh, people to send the jerseys to. Now, keep in mind, there's ratings and there are reviews. If you give a, a five star rating, preferably uh, that that always helps us out. If, if you wanted to do that, uh, it, it doesn't always give your username. The way to ensure that you're seen is to give a rating of a, a star rating as well as to write a review. That's how we can see who you are. And and that's how we can add you to the draw to be included to potentially uh, receive. I said little products, but obviously if not you're, so little. If you're listening to this, you got, you're getting a little inside information because somewhere down the line, we're going to go back and look at the people that have done this retroactively and, uh, and then just randomly send out some nice pieces of memorabilia to those people as a thank you. Um, so those people that have already written reviews are already included already and they don't even know. Absolutely. Uh, but if you are right, if you're listening to this and you're right of the review, um, and there, I don't know how many there are, maybe 50. Oh, there's a lot yeah. more, a hundred, yeah, yeah. 200, yeah. whatever it is, but all have a lot of nice prizes. So the odds of winning right now are pretty high, are pretty high pretty and high. nice gifts. So absolutely count on it. Uh, thanks again. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Uh, obviously, starting on a bit of a somber note, no one wants to, uh, to to pick that scab and go back to what it was like at the beginning of COVID. But hopefully this gives a little bit of insight into what not just a collecting company or a sports memorabilia company, but any small business was faced with something along these lines. And and uh, if, if you weren't involved in that, maybe this sort of sheds a little bit of light on what that, that was about at, at this crazy time in all of our lives that continues to this day so thank you so much once again brian aaronworth president of frameworth sports marketing my name is mikey aaronworth host of the sign off podcast and this is us signing off well ladies and gentlemen we made it to the end of yet another episode thanks again so much for joining us you can find videos of all of our episodes on youtube by searching the sign off podcast you can also follow us on twitter at frameworth sport or instagram at frameworth sports and hey if you're not sick of me yet you can find me on twitter over at at retrograde mikey or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on instagram at aaronworth the sign off is a proud product of fadu productions and sad styles productions executive producers mikey aaronworth and andrew bascom until next week this is Mike Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it.